Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be back after traveling for a couple of weeks, uh, partially uh, spending some time with family, also spending time at our denomination's annual General Assembly meeting. Um, but uh, it is it is genuinely good to be back. I'm sorry I wasn't able to make your special outdoor worship service experience last week. Maybe we can do that again sometime. Um, but uh, you know, I but when I say I'm I'm happy to be back, that is a, that is that is very genuine. I I told this I told the session not too long ago that um, I kind of consider our relationship um, my as an interim pastor and and you as res president of the congregation. Uh, similar to what I, I think how a, a uh, how a dating relationship might work that gets started on a dating app. Um, obviously, I didn't need a dating app when I got when I, when Jen and I first met, but I can imagine that it goes something like, you know, you, you're you're looking on the dating app and you come up, hey, that person looks interesting, they're kind of attractive, maybe we could get together, let's go on a date, never know what could happen, and uh, the date, at least from my perspective, the date actually went pretty well. Uh, and so, uh, uh, and, and as time has gone on, I can genuinely say uh, it really has been uh, an honor and a privilege and a joy um, to be with you these last 10 months. And um, at, even as, a, uh, as, as there is now a, now there is a definite end, end time <coughs> uh, to my experience here, um, which had, you know, has kind of been that, that goalpost has been moving from time to time, <clears throat> but now we know when, the, when that end is coming. Um, I just want I, I just want to say that uh, here uh, today that um, genuinely I have, I have loved being a part of you, part part of your community, and will no doubt continue to, to keep you in my prayers uh, even when our time together is gone and past. And I do hope that uh, we can stay in touch. Uh, here we are. <clears throat> Nevertheless, as we. Uh, continue our summer sermon series that uh, I entitled the Old Testament Prophet Radio, uh, Listening in Our Times. Another way we, we might put this is the way I, as I kind of thought about a sermon series is it's kind of looking at the best of um, Old Testament prophets and taking a broad look at the prophetical works of the Old Testament. And this morning we turn to a passage in Jeremiah that I know many of you are likely familiar with. In fact, if you've gone through on-ramp here at ResPres, you would be certainly familiar with it. And my hope this morning, I, I, I do not intend at all to simply repeat the crux of that material. But I find this passage one of the most astonishing passages in the Old Testament, in all the Bible for that matter, uh, when it comes to God giving guidance and instruction to his people and how to live their lives in a place where society around you is not exactly friendly to your beliefs. And so with that in mind, will you pray with me just one more time and ask God to be present with us by his spirit as we hear from his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do ask now that as we engage these words that you gave to your prophet Jeremiah, many, many years ago uh, to your people as a word of exhortation, as a word of encouragement. Father, in the way that you intended your people to receive that message then, <clears throat> in the way that parallels with where we are as your people today, would you send your spirit to give new life to these words 
to change us, to convict us, to encourage us. However, we have come into this place this morning, and whatever our posture is towards our culture around us, Jesus, speak to us with this passage. We pray for your sake. Amen. Well, I am uh, obviously no anthropologist or sociologist. However, I, I don't think it is a profound or even disputable observation that our society around us is becoming more and more and more of a post-Christian society. In fact, even more than simply a post-Christian society, a society that more and more sees less and less any type of good in our faith and often sees any kind of Christian or religious influence, for that matter, actually as a negative thing. And I have noted before in a sermon how much greater I have experienced in just my short time here in Madison the intensity and the density of a mindset here, even more so than in New York City, that at best questions the use of and the need for Christianity at all, but often forthright derides and scorns such belief. To be a Christian is not a favorable status here. <laughs> and, and you all as Madisonites <laughs> know this firsthand way better than I do. And in that respect, though the events and circumstances that led Israel to find themselves in Babylon, the situation that these Israelite exiles must have experienced once they were there, and what you experience here in Madison as a follower of Jesus, are quite similar, I would make a case this morning. A little history after Babylon prior to this, many years prior to this passage, sieged the city of Jerusalem for about three years. The Babylonians ended up coming in and actually destroying the capital city of Jerusalem. They even took down the grand temple that King Solomon had built. And thousands of Israelites were carried off in exile away from their homeland. And verse 2 tells us that specifically, many of the government leaders and the most qualified and talented artisans and craftsmen and professionals of Israel were specifically targeted for exile. And then not too long after this initial exile, those left behind in Israel attempted another rebellion. And at that point, the current king of Israel, King Zedekiah, was even forced to watch the execution of his own sons. And then it had his eyes plucked out by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was anything but a pleasant time for the people of Israel as exiles in Babylon. And this is the context into which God communicates his instructions through his prophet Jeremiah to these exiles in verses 4 to 7. And counsels them as to how he wants them to live in Babylon in that context. And what does he say? How does he instruct them in that scenario? Verse 4. Thus says the Lord, Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, 
build houses and live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives to your sons, give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And knowing, or just having a little bit of an idea of how Israel must have felt towards Babylon. Is that not a startling directive and mandate and ultimately mission for God's people? See, far from encouraging them to carve off space away from the rest of society, creating a little commune of like-minded people, far from outright condemning the society around them, and far from simply fully assimilating with the culture around them, the prophet Jeremiah encourages another way. He encourages a posture that must have been very familiar to the apostle John when he wrote in the New Testament, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jeremiah could have easily written, God so loved Babylon, even Babylon, that he gave his firstborn son, Israel. You see, despite the earthly and human perspective of things, God was actually at work orchestrating events for his greater purposes in the midst of all this. Look again at verse 1. There, Jeremiah writes, these are the words of the letter of that Jeremiah, the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile. Now juxtapose that with verses four and seven. Verse four, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem. Verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I, Yahweh, have sent you into exile. In verse 1, Jeremiah attributes Israel's exile to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 4 and 7, he attributes it to God, Yahweh himself. So which was it? Who was responsible for Israel to find them in the context in which they were in Babylon? Yes. <laughs> yes. They both were. The biblical authors, you see, have no problem affirming and even giving responsibility to human beings and their decisions and their activity on this earth, and yet God remains sovereign at the very same time over all things, and even commandeers human activity, good or bad, for his greater purposes. Remember when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery? He ends up in Egypt. Years later, rises to power in Egypt and is able at some point down the road to be in a place to offer help to his starving family and his fellow countrymen. 
Do you remember how he describes the situation to his brothers? You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. When Peter stands up in Jerusalem and is explaining all that God is doing through this small band of people who have now devoted their lives to following the resurrected Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. This is how Paul describes it. <clears throat> Peter, excuse me, describes it in Acts 2.23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And of course, Paul sums up how God is able to commandeer everything that happens in the life of his people to use for his purposes. God works all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Yes, from a simply human perspective, King Nebuchadnezzar had ruthlessly snatched this people out of their homeland and led them to a completely foreign and oppositional environment. But behind the scene, God was at work <laughs> and orchestrating these, these events and intended to use them to demonstrate that he longs for all of Babylon, even Babylon, to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Even Babylon. And yes, it is true. Israel had disobeyed. Israel had rebelled against their God, Yahweh. Yes, Israel had abandoned not simply their call to be holy, but their call to be holy in the midst of and among all the other nations that the other nations would see it and want to come to know Israel's God. And so, yes, Yahweh had sent them into exile and captivity to discipline them and to bring them back to repentance. But even then, even there, God so loved not just Israel, but the world, even Babylon. And God wanted Babylon to experience the shalom that his will brought to those who bend their knee to him and to his truly just and benevolent reign. And so while we are told in verses 8 and 9 that the false prophets were simply telling people, just hang in there for a little while. Keep your head down. This will be over soon. God says, no, don't listen to them. That's not what I want of you. That's not why I brought you here. And so how does God specifically, what does God specifically call on his people? How does he call on his people to love the neighbor's and the people around them in that culture, in that oppositional territory of Babylon. Three things. First, he exhorts his people to not simply go into survival mode. Don't simply be here to endure. I want you to settle down. I want you to see Babylon as your home for now. I want you to get involved. God's people were not simply to circle the wagons and wedge themselves off from society. Rather, do life in Babylon. Yes, even in Babylon, I want you to fulfill the mandate, the cultural mandate already given in Genesis 1 and 2 to take dominion, to be fruitful in and among the people and society of Babylon. 
And second, they were actually to intentionally and positively seek the welfare, the shalom, that's the word used here, of the city of Babylon. They were not to be antagonistic. They were not to be combative. They were not to be simply takers and consumers while they were in Babylon. They're rather to positively seek the good, the shalom, the welfare of Babylon. And finally, they were called to pray for Babylon. And the context here is not in precatory prayers. <laughs> they weren't called to be praying that God would bring his judgment down, rain it down, and destroy Babylon. That's not the type of prayers Jeremiah was calling his people, God's people to pray. These were prayers for the shalom of the city. Yes, the very empire that laid siege to your capital, dragged your greatest professional leaders out of your country, killed how many, led you hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. In other words, your enemy. Yes, pray for them. Jesus, of course, echoes this in Matthew 5. Do good to those that persecute you and pray for your enemies. In this place that is far from being a champion of your beliefs, Israel, far from being a champion of your faith community, I want you to pursue the cultural mandate right here. I want you to build. I want you to get creative. I want you to seek the good and the shalom of this place. I want you to pray for this place. That was the call. That was the exhortation to Israel during this time of exile. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the exact percentage is I, I, I look around the room, but my guess is that most of you here this morning are not originally from Madison, Wisconsin. Rather, you most likely came here to either earn an education or to begin or further your professional career. In other words, there were external forces and forces of the market and educational institutions and human activity that brought you here. <laughs> and yet, while you are furthering your professional career, May I suggest that behind the scenes, it has actually been the Lord who has overseen your move here for even other purposes regarding his mission out of his love for Madison. That God himself has shaped and formed you uniquely in such a way that Madison, Wisconsin would be an attractive place to move to, <laughs> to come to. to further your professional career, but also to be here for a time to offer God's shalom and Christ's love to a place that is anything but a champion of your beliefs and your faith community. This isn't just Jeremiah's one time, one passage, one off passage, unique perspective on how God longs for his people to live and where we are. The New Testament continues to use language for the people of God, the followers of the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth, as exiles. We see it in James. We see it in Hebrews. We see it in 1 Peter. And furthermore, that word, the Greek word that all those, those authors use in the New Testament 
that gets translated exiles specifically means resident alien. Resident alien. Someone who is taking up residence, dwelling, involved, yet still being a conceived as and perceived as a foreigner, <laughs> spiritually. It's a word that encompasses this posture that Jeremiah is calling on his, the exiles here to take on while they're in Babylon. No, this is not your home, perhaps. Yes, you are seen as foreigners here for your beliefs, but love this place. Love Madison. As Peter says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, throughout the time of your resi spiritual resident alienship here in Madison. <laughs> so that when they, even were they to speak evil of you, they actually may see your good deeds. And on the day of visitation, glorify God. You know, one of the things we do in, 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 in the elder training each week is remind ourselves that as prospective elders, one of the responsibilities of an elder is to steward the vision and mission of Res Pres. And it's a really good mission and vision <laughs> worth stewarding. But it's a mission and vision that will require effort to keep the focus as Res Pres becomes more and more an established church consider the other possible visions and mission for a church there are some churches where the mission is to be a bastion of theological precision and that's good that's good there are some churches whose mission whether formally stated this way or not is simply to be a safe haven for like-minded christians a place that provides all sorts of ministries and programs for Christians of all ages. And there's a place for that. But that's not the key core mission and vision that you have owned as a church. And my prayer is that you never lose that vision. I'm fully aware, I'm, I'm, I, I understand it has not been an easy time of transition during this time. To even, how, to even consider how to do anything more than simply making sure that you survive as a recently birthed church. I get it. <laughs> but my prayer encouragement to you now, as you stand on the verge of welcoming your senior pastor, is that as spiritual exiles, as spiritual resident aliens of Madison, that you individually and collectively now more and more work out what it means to specifically love your neighbors of Madison and be a blessing to the city of Madison. During GA, one of the things that I was, as I noted earlier, one of the things I was doing while I was away, I had an encounter with someone that completely blindsided me in the best possible way. I was at a Covenant Seminary alumni din dinner, Cam was there, and towards the end of the night, a few of us were sitting around the table and talking, and, and, and the, the guy that was actually kind of in charge of organizing everything just kind of said to another staff member, I guess we, it's time we, we pay security. And then he turned back and, and to the rest of us said, 
this guy's got a cool story. He, he actually knows Tom Cruise. I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. And he said, in fact, he was actually in a movie with Tom Cruise. I was like, wow, that's interesting. He said, in fact, he was in a movie with Tom Cruise here in Memphis. And then my ears perked up. And I turned and I said, are you talking about the movie The Firm? And he said, yeah. And I said, are you referring to the little kid who was doing flips on Beale Street with Tom Cruise? Anybody seen the movie The Firm? Anybody remember that part? Are you referring to the little kid? There's a kid on Beale Street doing flips with Tom Cruise. And he said, yeah. I said, are you saying he's here right now? He said, yeah, he's right over there in that van. I leap out of my seat. And I go, and we, well, I'm, I'm probably from here to the door. We make eye contact with each other. He jumps out of his car. We run to each other. Biggest bear hug embrace. I'm weeping. This is somebody who 25 years ago, when he was that little kid flipping on Bill Street, I met him through a ministry in the inner city of South Memphis. I was tutoring him math as a little kid. The very first night I'm with him, my first time hanging out in his neighborhood. As he's working on his math, right outside, couldn't have been but, but a block or two away, pow, pow, pow. I'm looking to like duck and cover, and he's just going on doing his math. Didn't even phase me. That's when I met him. I don't know the last time I have seen him. But over the next 30 minutes, he starts telling me all these stories that he and, he and I shared together that I didn't even remember half of them. He's like, John, you were the one that taught me how to chop wood. You were the one that taught me how to plant and grow a garden. He's like, some of the best food I ever had was in your house on Greer. Jen makes the best meals I've ever had in my life. I'm weeping. I, haven't, I don't know when the last time I've seen this kid. He's a young man now. He's a man now. And then he says, finishes off, <laughs> among all these other stories, John, you were the dad I never had. I thought I was just tutoring this kid. I thought I was just loving this kid. I thought I was just promoting and seeking his shalom. God had bigger purposes in mind. One of the last things he told me, he said, John, I drive by your house, I don't know how often. Every time I see a for sale sign up, I call and find out how much they're asking because one day I'm going to buy your house. You just never know. And when you genuinely love and seek to be a blessing to the neighbors in your city of Madison, what kind of impact and effect that will have long term. But it means engagement. It means intentionally. It means a different posture towards your time here and why you came. It means seeing your time here as certainly a time to further your education, professional care. Yes, career. Yes, do it. Of course, you're creating God's image to reflect his image. But may my prayer is that posture towards the city may take on a missional bent and a mindset as well, even as you're pursuing that career. Let me close just saying this. Certainly the hard part of our mission 
as followers of Jesus in a society that is more and more post-Christian is that we are not promised and we shouldn't expect dramatic or fast results from our intentional efforts to seek the shalom and blessing of our city. It won't be as easy. It won't be quick. It won't be dramatic. Peter himself said in the passage I read earlier, we may not even see fruit until the day of visitation. But if we are honest with ourselves, that has to be the very perspective of a triune God <laughs> who in his efforts to seek after us and our salvation. Because if you're a Christian here this morning and you've been a Christian for any period of time and you think about it and you look back years ago and if you're honest with yourself, you consider where you've come from in your growth and maturity and, spiritual, and spiritually and emotionally, that transformation didn't happen overnight. And yet, the triune God of the Bible thought it worth it to invest and pursue you. To offer you his shalom without any guarantee of immediate dramatic results. <laughs> and that's really the fuel for this type of posture towards a place like Madison. You see, Paul says that it wasn't when we were friendly towards God that Christ died for us. It was while we were his enemies. It was while we were at enmity with God. That's the type of people God loves. You and me in our former days when we were completely living, self-centered, self-gratifying lives with no interest in championing the things of God. That's who Jesus comes after. That's when and how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's when he moved in, dwelt among us as a resident alien in order to love us and save us by his shalom. May that be the fuel and the motivation in how you go about loving the city of Madison. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We, we desperately needed a community. Many of us would say we needed a community like Res Prez in a world, and especially a cultural context, that can be combative to our faith. It's a hard place to be a student at the university, to be a professional, to simply live here among neighbors that think so differently from us and find us to be foreigners in many ways spiritually. We needed a place, and you provided that with Res Press, and we thank you for that. I thank you for that, and I pray that even as we have enjoyed that blessing, that gift that you've given us, may we leverage that into being a means and a conduit of your grace, of your shalom to the neighbors around us. It is not easy. It will take lots of conversations and thinking and intentionality, but I pray that that vision might be further realized and grown here at this congregation, this outpost of spiritual resi resident aliens, exiles right here in Madison. I pray these things for Christ's sake. Amen. Will you stand with me now and let us confess together our common
faith boldly. This is a safe place to declare what it is that you believe in your faith. So with that confidence, would you now, using the words of the Apostles' Creed, remind one another and ourselves, brothers and sisters,